Well, good afternoon. You know, one of the things that I have learned through the years in uh, being around these men of God is to imitate the good that I see in them. Right? And when I see them by faith operate in the principles of truth, that's encouraging to me, and so I grab a hold of it. And, um, you know, we just witnessed Pastor Bob, he sowed two minutes and reaped 15 minutes. That's a 650% return. Do you know what 650% on 15 minutes is? An hour and 52 minutes. In all seriousness, when is my closing time? In an hour. All right. Wonderful. So if you would, open up your Bible with me to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to read the first two verses. And we're going to continue right on into where we had started yesterday. And if, you, if you're here with us um, for the first time today and you weren't here yesterday, then I'll just catch you up to speed very quickly. And what we are talking about is the reality of hell to us as believers. This, this message, these messages are not designed to get you to be born again. They're not designed to, they're designed to get you to act like a born again person. And I don't mean by holy living, I mean by being motivated because with the understanding and realization that there is a real hell that everyone on this planet is headed towards unless they hear and receive the gospel, the good news. And so that's where you and I come into. And if, if you're here, here with us, I'm, I'm confident that you've been taught, you've been trained. In fact, I'll just ask the question like I did yesterday. Is there anyone here that's not confident that they'll go to heaven when they die? Is there anyone here that's questioning, well, I'm not sure, maybe I won't go to heaven. Because if that's you, we'll just deal with that right now before we go any further. I don't see any hands, so... Someone else seen a hand and I didn't. Why wave at me and we'll we'll take care of it. The reason I ask that because it's important that you understand because it would be real easy for me to sound imbalanced, off balance when you hear a sermon like this. So you need to understand that this sermon is not designed to scare you into heaven. You, you your tickets already been punched. You're on the way to heaven. Okay? This is designed simply to bring the reality that we live, everyone, every man, woman, child that you meet is headed to an eternal destiny, one place or the other. Yesterday I said there's only two people, two kinds of people on the planet. Those that are gonna go to hell and burn forever, and those that are not. And so, having this reality on the inside of us will serve as a motivator to step out and go evangelize, to go find those persons, make disciples. You know, don't just, don't go out and just evangelize and then leave them alone. That's why we have so many orphans running around. They've prayed the prayer of salvation, but they haven't had anyone to disciple them. And so, all of us coming together and bringing these teachings to you, you're gonna get the full enchilada, alright? So, we're not just gonna be single-sided on this thing. 
All right, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. I'm reading out of the New King James Version on these first two verses. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of, and he lists six doctrines that are foundational, and they're also elementary. So if you are brand new to the faith, well, right here is where you can start on these six elementary doctrines. If you are um, old in the faith, well, then make sure you don't lose the foundations. So number one is repentance from dead works. Number two is faith toward God. Number three and verse two is the doctrine of baptisms. Number four is the laying on of hands. Number five is the resurrection of the dead. You know, everybody's going to be resurrected. Both the good and the bad. Everyone's being resurrected and the physical body that you have right now is what's getting resurrected. Now, if you're being resurrected to life, that physical body that you currently have is just going to get souped up and amped up in a way that it's not right now. But if you're resurrected unto death, it means that this physical body is going to be resurrected and it's not going to die physically anymore. It's going to live forever with punishment and torment. And so number six here is what I was just talking about, eternal judgment. See, we don't want to use ever, we don't ever want to use the doctrine of hell and eternal judgment to try to scare people into making a commitment to walk with the Lord. But yet it should serve as a very sobering reminder that everybody we meet by default is headed there. See, it's so easy, especially in the Bible Belt areas, to think, well, you know, they're already a believer. Someone else has already told them. Or no, they'll probably reject it anyway. Well, when are we going to stop rejecting the gospel on their behalf? When are we going to begin to say, to present the gospel to them? And by gospel, I don't mean some formula, and we'll get into this on Thursday and Friday. It's not just some formula, but we are witnesses of what we have seen and heard. We are witnesses of what God has done for us. And so, as we come and we present the good news, it's good news, not bad news. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And what is that goodness? Well, He's extended mercy. Mercy that and grace and the blood of Jesus and it's His kindness towards men that leads us to repentance. So make sure that you're telling people the good news. I mean, there is bad news. If you reject the good news, now we only have bad news for you. And there is that side of it as well, right? I mentioned yesterday how there's 7.8 billion people on the planet. That's a number we can't really comprehend. And we we looked at statistics and it... It seems like 30% of those people call themselves believers and we're probably being very generous to say 10% of them are actually born again followers of Jesus that have relationship that are in the kingdom of light. And out of those 7.8 billion people on the planet, you know, there are 172,000 of them are dying every day. Now, don't be concerned. It's, it, we, the birth rate is double that. All right, 
So we're growing so fast. The population is just growing and growing. And the amazing thing is, if you look at Christianity, yeah, we can get down in the dumps by looking at how numbers have declined here in the United States, but around the world, Christianity has exploded in the last 100 years. I mean, it has been amazing growth in the planet of the kingdom of light. And so we're, we're making ground, but they're also being born faster than they're being discipled into followers of Jesus. So we have work to do in order to meet this new generation that is coming up. If 10% of those 172,000 people that are dying every day, if 10% of them are born again, that leaves, that leaves 56.7 million people per year that go to hell. Because 63 million die. That's about 155,000 people per day. That is about 107 per minute. Pretty much everybody in this room in one minute. Every minute. It's real sobering, isn't it? To think that it's not just a momentary thing, place where they're going, but that it's eternal. It's forever. It's everlasting, Scripture calls it. In the New Testament, there's many teachings on hell. Jesus taught on it more than anybody else did. So let's go over to Luke chapter 16. Before we read this, John, I'm going to have you come and share a testimony with us that this is a personal eyewitness account of something that he has experienced. Where did the mic go? Do you have it? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, somewhere. So I'll try to keep this short and sweet. Uh, First, I want to preface this with uh, this was the old man who is now dead. And so, but there was a time when I was younger that I was involved in drugs and things like that. And, and uh, I was going to a concert with some friends and we had like some dope and, and we got buzzed and we went in. And what happened was uh, I had a very bad reaction and I started to convulse and they took me out and threw me in the back of a station wagon and just kind of left me there. Real good friends, by the way. But So you were OD'd, basically. I was OD'ing. I was OD'ing, and they threw me in the back of this station wagon. So, uh, And while I was lying there, I could feel myself slipping away. I could just... Um, and it was, it was frightening. And uh, so then I felt like I was being dragged. Like I left the back of that, and I was being dragged downward at this extremely accelerated pace and uh, I know sometimes people give these testimonies and it's weird but uh, this is true so I'm just gonna yeah. share it I'm not giving anybody a knife or anything like that so <laughs> sorry I had to get that in there uh, so I was being dragged down and uh, and it the further I went the darker it got and uh, my senses were not uh, shut off or anything. There was this awful smell. It was just frightening. And I was trying to speak, and I couldn't speak, and I'm just being dragged down. And then, and uh, before I hit bottom, with all I had in me, I screamed, Jesus. Screamed the name of Jesus. And when I did that, boom, I was instantly in the back of the station wagon, and I was completely straight. You know, whatever was, was happening to me, you know, with the drugs, or whatever, they were just gone from my system. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then I went back in, you know, and then uh, for days after that, I, I pondered what had happened. And my friends talked me into that, well, you were just hallucinating. 
this was just a hallucination, you know, and they, they kind of talked me out of it. And then years later, I was listening to Kenneth Hagin give a testimony about going to hell. And, uh, and as he was saying it, it was an exact description of what took place with me. And then it was like, oh, mm-hmm. that was real. That was a real thing. So I share that just, uh, I mean, I all know, you all know there's a heaven and a hell. You know, obviously you all do here. But uh, for me, it uh, took things a bit further. And actually, I'm uh, probably just a little ashamed that I haven't reached more people for Christ because I have that first count testimony of it. I have tried to share that with people before, and they act like I'm crazy. So I probably have to share different things with them to get them into heaven. But but anyhow, it's a real place. It's a real place. And trust me, you don't want anyone to go there, even your worst enemy. It's just not a place for anybody. God wants everybody to be born into the kingdom. Amen? Thank you, John. You can just put it on the stand. As John was sharing that testimony with me, he went on and said, you know, he didn't give his life to the Lord right away. That didn't scare him into heaven. He said, but it, there was something, you could say there was sand in his shoe that was wearing on him. That was, if he knew heaven was real, I mean, if he knew hell was real, then he knew that there must be a God and heaven is real too. And ultimately, that's what drew him to, to, to the Lord. You know, we have, when the Holy Spirit convicts you and draws you to the Lord, when the Holy Spirit comes to the sinner, the one that doesn't know Him, and convicts them and draws them to the Lord, it's not, we don't use hell to frighten them because basically, if you use fear to accomplish the goodness of God, that's just not going to work. It's oil and water. And yet, we have, how would I say it? When you're under conviction, you become convinced of something. That's what conviction is. You are convinced that I have sinned. You are convinced that I need a Savior. You become convinced that He has died for me. That's what conviction is. Condemnation, on the other hand, goes, no, you don't qualify. No, you've gone too far. Nope, you aren't good enough. Nope, you're way too, the Lord would no longer accept you. You already burned your bridge. You've already walked away from the ministry you were supposed to enter into long enough. It's been too long. See, that's what condemnation does. It tries to push apart and separate. Whereas conviction draws, it convinces you of your need for Christ. So did you find Luke 16 yet? We're going to begin in, in verse 19. And we're going to look at several truths here that we can see about hell being a real place. Let's read verses 19 through 22 to begin with. There was a certain rich man. This is a true story that Jesus is telling. Who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a certain poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was left at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So there's two two points here that we'll look at very quickly. 
Point number one, and I'm just going to start at the beginning because some of you were taking notes and, and I was asked yesterday, what were those points again? So we'll just go over them again. Point number one, everybody's going to cross the threshold from life or from time into eternity. We see both of them came to that point in life and they crossed that threshold. The second thing we can see here is the angels escorted Lazarus to paradise. The angels escort. I don't know if you've ever been um, had the privilege of being with somebody who's been been saved, born again, going to heaven, and when they passed away, when they made that transition over to the other side, I've had that privilege several times. And um, the things they saw and experienced just as they stepped over was amazing. You know, one of them I remember he goes, "Oh, look!" and got a smile and was gone. You know, he he. Uh, I don't know, were, were there angels there that came and were escorting him? Probably so. Um, th- this list of, let's see, I have 11 things that we're going to look at that we can see out of this. Some of these, I, uh, maybe about four or five of them I borrowed from other teachings and then others were just things I noticed reading through it. Let's look here in verse 23 now. It says, "...and being in torment..." In Hades, that's being hell, it's the word for hell. He looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now... He is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. The third thing we see here is that the righteous are rewarded and the wicked are punished in a place of torment. Torment is not anything that is enjoyable. The people that say, well, I'm going to go to hell and I'm just going to have fun there. No, it's a place of torment. It's tormenting. In fact, one, one Scripture we're going to read later talks about how there's no rest. No rest. How would you like to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually just as exhausted as anything you've ever felt and there's never rest? It's just more of the same. The fourth thing we see here is that consciousness remains after death. He didn't just go unconscious and didn't expect, but instead, no, he had, he, he was conscious. He was able to have a conversation with people. He, his, um, after death, the fifth thing we see here is that after death, you retain your memory, your logic, your reasoning ability, your thinking. You know, he's looking and he's reasoning and he's having a conversation with Abraham and his logic, his memory is still intact. He remembers Lazarus. And the sixth thing that we can see here is aware of other people's location, whether they're on heaven, in heaven, paradise, whether they're in hell, whether they're on the earth. He was aware, as we'll see in a little bit, that he had brothers on the earth that weren't there. He was aware that Lazarus was in heaven. He was aware that he was in hell. And here's what's even wild about all of this. He recognized Abraham. He'd never met Abraham. 
He didn't see a movie of Abraham. He didn't know what Abraham looked like. Yet he instantly recognized that that's Abraham. So there is even a knowing that's going to come after death that we don't have in advance. Because we're in the spirit realm. Isaiah, you don't need to turn there. I'll just read to you very quickly. Isaiah 66 is talking about the new heavens and the new earth that the Lord's going to make and what's going to be taking place there. And in Isaiah 66, 24, or 23, it says, All mankind will come to worship me from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, says the Lord. Now, this is on the new heaven and new earth. And he says, As they leave, they will see the dead bodies of the men who rebelled against me, for their worm will never die, their fire will never go out, and they will be a whore to all mankind. So after death, we'll be aware of each other's locations. The seventh thing we see here is that judgment is final. Judgment is final. There's no way to change their position or their place. God's mercy is no longer available to those who've died and crossed over into hell. We see that He said there's a, there was a great gulf between them. We can't cross. You're, you're there. He can't go back to the earth. He can't cross to heaven. Judgment is final. And let me say this too, just because I was talking about we're, we're looking at one side of the coin right now. The love of God requires a just God. The fact that God is loving means He's also just and completely fair. And He is... People say, well, how can, how can a loving God throw people in hell? Well, actually, you're asking the wrong question and looking for an answer that doesn't exist for that question. People are choosing where they're going. Choose this day whom you will serve is what Scripture says. And so... so as people choose to serve the enemy, well then they just go to where the enemy belongs. Let's look in verse 27 now. So, Father, He said to him, so He said, no, I can't send Lazarus to, to, to minister to you any water. So He says in verse 27, Father, He says, then I beg you to send him to my Father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Here we see two more things. Number eight, we see that he had no desire for family or friends to join him. People that say, well, I'm going to go have a good time with my friends. All my friends are there. I want to go be with them. No, you have no desire for that there. Number nine, we see that repentance, which I kind of covered this earlier, but repentance is no longer available to him. And even in his sin, he's not repentant for his sin. Look at, he is implying blame that if I would have just been warned better, I wouldn't be here. He's implying that if, hey, you guys didn't do due diligence and send someone from the dead to come talk to me and then I wouldn't be here blaming someone else instead of actually just seeing the light that was given to him. Verse 31, but he told him, and this is Abraham replying, he says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. 
The tenth thing we see here is that there is just as much power present at the preaching of the Word as there is at someone being resurrected from the dead. Abraham is saying, look, they have the Word to listen to. Let them listen to the Word. He's saying that someone being raised from the dead and coming to them wouldn't convince them any more than the Word convinces them. In fact, we, you know, even today, there's testimonies of people being raised from the dead and, and, um, it's amazing that it's not a bigger deal. You know, that it's not all over the news worldwide. The, 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 uh, point of interest here, the rich man's sin was not his riches. The rich man's sin was that he rejected light and served himself. The rich man, he didn't need more light, did he? He had light. He had the Word. He just needed eyes to see the light for the blinders to be removed. Now, if nobody would have told him the Word, if he had no access to the Word, now we could say he didn't have enough light. But Abraham recognized that no people had told him the Word. And did you know that when you tell someone the good news and they reject that and turn away from it, they're accountable. They had opportunity. In fact, in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, who, who will go for us? Who shall I send? And, and Isaiah goes, well, here am I, send me. And we often use that and we say, you know, that should be the heart cry of, of our generation. Here am I, send me. What's interesting is the reply that the Lord gives to him. He says, well, go out and preach and dull their minds. All he's saying is go out and give them light. They're going to reject it, but they're also now held accountable to it. And then he says, well, for how long, Lord? And he says, if you just read it, I'm paraphrasing, he said, until there's no one left to preach to, till the place is desolate. Well, I'm quite certain that you and I are not in that position yet. There's plenty of people to preach to. Plenty of people that are still living that need to hear it. The eleventh thing here that we see, or that we know, is that rich man is still there. 2,000 years later, the rich man is still there. He's still burning. He's still in torment. He still would like to have a drip of water to cool his tongue. It's an everlasting torment. And he still is in a position of he doesn't want people to come there. In Revelations 20, you, I'm just going to read to you. This tell is talking about Satan and how that he will go out to deceive the nations at the corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they came up over the surface of the earth and surrounded the encampment of the saints, the beloved city. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So we see there's fire. And, and sulfur it burns very, very hot. Sulfur also smells very, very bad. Alright? So there's going to be heat. There's going to be flames. There's going to be a horrible smell. There's going to be smoke. Choking smoke. There's going to be darkness that's darker than anything we've ever experienced on the planet because it's separation from God. 
Then he goes on, he says, I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from His presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up its dead and death and hell gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their works. Death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I read this to you because this point number 11 that the rich man is still there, he's still there and it's going to get worse for him. Because hell is going to give him up for the day of judgment and then him and hell together are going to be tossed over into the lake of fire. And that's worse than where he is right now. Daniel, in Daniel 12.2, it says this, it says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to shame and eternal contempt. That word means Contempt means abhorrence. Everlasting abhorrence. Some people are going to be resurrected. Their physical body is going to be brought back to life to be put into a state of everlasting abhorrence. This is not a place anybody wants to go. We don't want our enemies to go there. We don't want anyone to go there. And notice too here where we're going to see this a number of times as I read through these Scriptures. It contrasts eternal life with eternal damnation. Some people think, well, hell is going to be brief. It's just going to be done and then over and you burn up and you're done. No, hell is going to be everlasting. Just like life with the Father is eternal life, everlasting life, so is that death side of it. It equates one with the other. One's eternal death, the other one's eternal life. In John 5, Jesus said this, He says, do not be amazed at this because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come out. And those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of judgment. Here are some other things that Jesus said about hell. I thought more powerful than anything that I can tell you or any experience we can read or hear is just simply, what did Jesus teach about it? What were His words? What did He say about it? Because He's not a liar. We can trust Him, right? Jesus said, I'm going to read to you a number of places out of, of Matthew. Because... In the Gospels, there's many mentions of hell, and but I want you to see that it's not. I'm not reading to you the same happening from one Gospel to the other, and it just sounds like there's a bunch of them. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you in a sequential fashion how often Jesus said something, and sometimes he said the same thing twice. But in Matthew five is the first place I'll tell you about it. He, he makes a statement, whoever says you fool or means you moron or you idiot. And if you look at the meanings of it, it's simply saying someone who calls someone a worthless person. Anyone who does that shall be in danger of hell fire. Jesus identifies that there's fire in hell. 
Hell is not just a state of being separated from God and so that's your punishment. No, there's also fire there. Okay? Later on in Matthew 5, he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body go into hell. You know, there's, it's, it's such a bad place. Jesus is saying you'd be better off to walk around lame and halt and maimed and then go there. That would be a much better existence. And if we'd read that whole passage, you'd see he'd say, man, poke out your eyes if you have to. I mean, he's teaching in extremes, but the point that he's making is you don't want to go there. Of course, the point that he's actually making is to live holy, live unto the Lord. In Matthew 10, he says, don't fear those who, ki- who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And it's not talking about the devil. Matthew 11. You know, we talk about the fear of the Lord. I'll just say that. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of Him, the respect of Him. And if you are a minister here, if you're a pastor here, or if you speak from the pulpit, you understand what I'm saying when I say, you know, I'm sure that you have a desire to accurately explain and teach the way of the Lord. And that you have a desire you don't want to misrepresent the Lord. What is that? That's called the fear of the Lord. You don't want to present something that is not accurately representing Him and His character. Well, that doesn't mean that you're scared of the Lord. I mean, if you're going to walk in sin and refuse to repent and walk away from the Lord, then you should be very scared, right? But for you and I as believers today, we're not going to be afraid of Him, but we're certainly going to reverence Him by our life, by our actions. In Matthew 11, he said this about Capernaum. He said, you will, will you be exalted to heaven? He says, no, you will go down to hell. For if the miracle that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. In Matthew 13, he was talking about the weeds that were planted into the field and how the harvest and the weeds are harvested. And he makes the analogy. He says, therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels. They will gather from His kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears should listen. How many are looking forward to that shining? Yeah. In Matthew 18, he talks about an eternal fire, but in this particular case, I'm going to read to you from Mark 9, which is the same time that he said it in Matthew 18. This is one of those times where he repeated himself in the same Gospel even saying something very similar. But in Mark chapter 9, in verses 43, he says, if your hand causes your downfall, now he was repeating in Matthew, he says it twice. This comes up and he teaches on it. He says, if your hand causes your downfall, cut it off 
it is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell. The unquenchable fire. You see that. It's unquenchable. It's not going to be going out. It's unquenchable. The unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes your downfall, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. The unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes your downfall, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. For everyone, it's talking about these people that do these things and and go to hell. For everyone will be salted with fire and every sacrifice will be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can it be made salty? Salt represents the covenant of God. When we look into the Old Covenant, we look into the Levitical Law, salt was supposed to be put onto the sacrifices and salt represents the eternal covenant of God. But salt was also something else. Salt was a preservative. And salt preserves in the current condition, whatever that is, it preserves it in that condition. And so for these people that go to hell and they're salted with fire, that simply means that salt is preserving them in their current condition eternally. They're preserved in this condition for destruction. Just eternal destruction. And yet, how often have we simply neglected to tell our fellow man that there is a way to be one with the Father? And that that can be your destiny because we're lazy or afraid. Matthew 23, He said to the scribes and Pharisees, He said, woe to you, hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to make one proselyte and one one. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for a hell as you are. In Matthew 24, he was speaking about the slaves that their master had gone on a journey and and they were supposed to be working. And will the master find you working when he comes home? And he said this for the slave's master will come on a day he does not expect in that hour he does not know and he will cut him to pieces. Doesn't sound real pleasant. And assign him with a a place with the hypocrites and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 25, parable of the talents. In verse 28, he says, So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing slave into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It, You say, well, how can it be Fire and dark at the same time. Isn't fire light? Well, actually, if you'll talk to a fireman and those that go into burning houses, it's full of chokingly black smoke and fire and darkness. But when you remove the presence of God who is light, it's a whole other level of darkness going on. It says in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, we're just reading words to you that Jesus said about hell. Later in chapter 25, talking about the sheep and the goats, and at that judgment, 
Then he will also say to those on the left, he's speaking to the goats, he says, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire. That's everlasting fire. Prepared, and this is key, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell never was created for man to go to. It was created for the devil and his angels. And if you put yourself in league with the devil and his angels, then you're just going to have their judgment as well. But man wasn't supposed to be going there. God created man in His own image to be in the earth and be His image bearer, to be His creator in the earth. Not to go to hell. He goes on in verse 46 of 25, He says, and they will go into eternal punishment. That's everlasting punishment. That means punishment that doesn't stop but the righteous into eternal life. That means life that doesn't stop. That means good things that just don't quit. And we get to tell people that they can come to a place like that. See, that's the good news. Going on into Mark, here's something else Jesus said. He said, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Or the King James says eternal damnation. Or another translation says eternal judgment or continuous judgment. Jesus said in Revelations chapter 1, He says, don't be afraid. Sounds like Him, doesn't it? He says, don't be afraid. He says, I'm the first and the last. I'm here in the beginning. I'm going to be here at the end. We got this. Don't be afraid. He said, I am the living one. I was dead, but look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and to hell. Man, that's why we can say, you know what, you don't have to be afraid of going to hell. I heard one guy say how that he, he, uh, had his coach ask him, he said, do, do, are you, you know, what do you, where are you gonna go when you die? Do you think you'll go to heaven? And he said, yeah, I think I'll go to heaven. He said, well, how sure are you? And he says, well, I, I'm 90% sure. You know, I've, he says, well, wh- why are you 90% sure? Well, I think my good outweighs my bad. He says, I see. He says, well, the coach said to him, he said, well, what if I could give you the other 10%? <laughs> this guy was like, yeah, whatever. But he went home. And that was like a pebble in his shoe. And he kept thinking about that the whole weekend. The other 10%. The other 10%. And so then he comes back and He received Jesus as Lord and now he's on the mission field in Kenya, I believe. Some more on hell. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. It says, since it is righteous for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to reward with rest you who are afflicted along with us, this will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels taking vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. So we see that there's going, there's, again, flaming fire is referenced. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. It means everlasting destruction. Destruction that just doesn't stop. From Away from the Lord's presence and from His glorious strength. See, part of that punishment is being away from His presence. To the absence of God. What's left when, when God is gone? Well, only all the bad things. The fear, the parent... I mean, just 
undescribable horribleness. It says, in that day when He comes to be glorified by His saints and to be admired by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. Do you admire Him? Admired by those that believe. In Jude, it talks about eternal chains in darkness. Talks about judgment on that great day. It talks about, it says, in the same way Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them committed sexual immorality and practiced perversions, just as the angels did. He's saying Sodom and Gomorrah did this, just like the angels did back in Genesis, you can read about. It says, and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Eternal fire. Revelations 14. It says, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented, tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. It's not going to stop. There's no rest day or night. Look at that. No rest. No rest. That'd be horrible. For those who worship the beast in his image or anyone who receives the mark of his name. Then later in Revelations 19, he says the beast was taken prisoner. Along with him, the false prophet who had performed the signs in his presence. He deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. With these signs, both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And unlike my three-year-old nephew, I'm not going to cry about the devil being there. 